Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've led us. Lord, you have been faithful every single step of the way. And we think back to the early days of praying in the upper room and the first days of meeting here and how you have guided us every single step of the way. Lord, as we come to study your word this morning, we pray that our hearts would be open to you and that we would really understand what you're calling us to do this morning. Lord, you you have never caused us to wander. Even in the times when we weren't sure what the next step is, you have you have showed us and you have revealed it to us and you've never let us be uncertain. So, Lord, we praise you this morning in advance for your word and for what your spirit is going to say to us. We pray that our hearts would be open now to receive it as we enter this next step of what you're doing in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, you're released. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2. This is obviously a morning of transition for us. And this book and this passage are a time of transition for Israel. As they are on the doorstep of the promised land. And there's this next generation of Jews. All of whom had been born in the wilderness. Their parents had all died in the wilderness. And now they go uh, and prepare to walk into the promised land. Only Moses, Joshua and Caleb are left. Only those three that had left Egypt are left still alive because they have been faithful to the Lord. And this book ends with Moses' final word. In fact, the whole book really is is a summation of what's happened in the first four books. And Moses gives a history of what the people have been through. And then after he's done this, he'll walk up into Mount Nebo and he'll die after God shows him all the promised land spread for him. Joshua, the book of Joshua will immediately follow and immediately the people will go into land. But at this point, they're camped at the base of the mountains in the Jordan Valley, just across the Jordan River on the east side in the region of Moab. They're about 10 miles from Jericho. So not far. The promised land's in sight. They know where it is. They know what they have to do next. And it's taken them 40 years to go roughly 100 miles. Think about that statistic. It's taken them 40 years to go 100 miles because they've wandered and they've rebelled and they've been against the Lord. And now chapter 1, verse 3, this is the first day of the 11th month of the 40 year. In other words, this is the last month. This is it. They're done now. They're ready to go in. Moses will be dead within a few days. And he gives this summation. He gives this charge to the people and he says, Here's what's going to happen. I want to remind you of what happened when we left Egypt. And I want to tell you that now is the time to go in and occupy. And as he talks to them, chapter 2, he gives them one sentence that's always stood out to me. Where he's saying that God is pulling you now out of the holding pattern. And now we are going to occupy the land. And we're going to have a fresh realization of God's blessing. And as we look at this first step of advance for the people, there's a spiritual principle here I think that really... um, challenge us this morning to be on guard spiritually for what uh, we are going to face and the new challenges of the new space. And there's also uh, an encouragement to us that God is prepared to do a fresh movement of his blessing. God has worked with us. God has led us. God has provided for us. And now he's taking us to a new space that three months ago we had no idea was even there, was even a possibility Two weeks ago, it looked completely different than it does this morning. 
And in one more week, we'll be there. We won't be here anymore. And God's ready to, to do a different work and a new work. And this passage is really very relevant for today because it highlights Israel's problem. We know Israel's problem. We know their history. We know their rebellion and their resistance and their pushback and their constant complaining and their murmuring and their frustration and their lack of making the Lord the Lord and their false gods and, and all the other mess that took place in the wilderness. And this passage really is a challenge to the church. It's a challenge to us as believers, even though I believe we've been faithful. And I think there has been a great spirit over the last two and a half years. But we have to be very careful now that we don't strive against the Lord. And we don't fall into something that is ungodly. Or fall into something that is complacent and resistant. God had constantly said to the people, I'm faithful to you and I'm good to you. And he says twice in chapter 1, don't be afraid. And he says, I'm leading you. Go in and take possession of the land. But in Moses' summary, is he uses the phrase four times, but the people did not trust. The people did not trust. In spite of God's mercy and his promises and his blessing, they just failed to, to, to stop the rebellion that was in their heart. And it was so deep-seated that over the span of 40 years, all of them died. Because God said, I can't take a rebellious people into the land of my blessing. So the wilderness was a place of despair and a place of death and a place of testing of their character. And their resistance had been so strong and so profound that to occupy those 40 years, God had made them wander in circles. I don't think there's anything more frustrating than going into circles. And yet they stubbornly held to it. They did not want to yield. There are times in our lives where we wander in circles, where we maybe still this morning, and I'm speaking individually now, where we're still repeating the same pattern, still following in the same path, still wearing that place in the carpet uh, spiritually and emotionally and physically like you see in the cartoons when they're pacing and there's a hole and eventually they go farther and farther down because they just keep walking in circles. Some of, of our lives, some areas of our lives are like that. We're wandering in circles and we haven't made any change. Are you steadily maturing in your faith this morning? Are you really progressing? Do you look at your life and say, I am really moving forward? Or, or are you in the same place you were two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? I mean, there's, there's really no difference in your passion for the Lord, your love for the Lord. Maybe even slightly regressed. Are you walking by faith? I mean, really, everything is, Lord, I'm going to trust you for this. That's my first thought. It's my inclination is I am going to yield to you and I'm going to trust you. Is your joy increasing or is it diminishing? Do you find more bitterness in your life, more unhappiness, more frustration, more anxiety, more, more irritation in your soul? Or, or are you full of joy? Is there a sin that still has you? I mean, it's, it's been an issue for 15, 20 years and you've prayed and you've tried, but you still keep yielding to it. And, and you look at it, and you go, I haven't conquered that at all. These are the areas in which we just kind of walk in circles. And we need to ask those questions because it helps us to understand how we move forward in the strength and the blessing of the Lord. Same thing as a church. Now we can't just keep 
meeting every week and coming to the Marriott, set up and tear down and, and everything like that. We, we, need to, we need to now move forward. God is advancing us now. So what's that going to look like? How are we going to, to progress now? What's God calling us to as a ministry? What does he want from us? Because this is no accident. God's opened the doors. He's made it abundantly clear. He wants us at 401 Wisconsin. So why? We have to ask that question. Why, Lord? Why do you want us there? Why did you want us to exist in the first place? What have you done? How have lives been changed? How have marriages been saved? How, how, how have youth been uh, transformed by the Lord? How have people's lives become different? How many babies have been born? What now? What do you want from us? We have to ask the Lord that. And when the Lord shows us, we have to follow it. Because if we become resistant to it, say, well, excited about a new building because it means we don't have to tear it down anymore. But, but I don't know. Kind of wait and see. If that's our posture, we're going to walk in circles. Now, Lord, you lead us. We've said since day one. We've said before day one. You remember the prayer meetings in the upper room? We said, Lord, this is your church. You lead us. We're, we're not going to tell you what to do. You tell us what to do, and that's what we'll do. That posture cannot change. In fact, I would say we have to become much more fervent about it. Lord, what do you want? How are you leading us? Look at the instructions that he gives here. Chapter 2, start in verse 1. Moses is summarizing. He says, Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. And we circled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You've circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north and command the people, saying, You'll pass through the territory of the brothers, sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they'll be afraid of you. So be very careful. Don't provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land. Even as, sorry, I'm having trouble reading this morning. Even as little as a footstep, because I have given Moab, excuse me, I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You should buy food from them with money so that you may eat. And you'll purchase water from them with money so you may drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all that you've done. He's known your wanderings through this great wilderness. For 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. And you've not lacked a thing. Look at that one phrase in chapter 2 and verse 3 where he says, you've circled this mountain long enough. I think there have been moments, I know there have been moments in my heart over the last two years, two and a half years, where I felt like we're just wandering. Where we're just walking around the mountain in circles. Lord, what's next? We, we sought the Lord for a building and nothing. I looked at all the real estate in this town. I, I could be a real estate agent at this point. I know all the commercial property. And nothing. And we sought the Lord and we kept plugging away. But there were times, I think, where we felt like we were just in a holding pattern. I don't know if you've ever been in a holding pattern over an airport where you just keep going around and around. I remember I was on a cruise once. And they thought somebody had fallen overboard. Well, they didn't tell us that for about 18 hours. And we kept going around and around. We didn't realize it until I looked out the window. I thought, I've seen that island a couple times. 20-foot swells. I got seasick. We kept going around. The ocean would rise and fall out the window and rise and fall. Literally a wall of water and then sky. 
the wall of water and sky. They kept seeing that island going in circles. Now the time has come for the people of Israel. The time has come for us to land. God says, my plan now is being fulfilled. We felt it for two and a half years. Think about the people of Israel. They felt it two and a half years times 15. Just going in circles. And we know it was their fault. We know it was because of their rebellion that they didn't trust the word of the spies. Way back in Kadesh Barnea, when the 10 spies came back and said, we can't do this, it's too big. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, the Lord's with us. We need to go in. And the people said, well, we're scared. And they all died in the wilderness. They had tried to attack the Edomites without the hand of the Lord, and God defeated them. They still didn't get it. They still didn't want to trust the Lord. So he reached his final straw and he said, fine, you're going to wander. And he takes them about a 100 miles south of the Dead Sea, down near the, when you see the two fingers of the Red Sea, near the right finger of the Red Sea, just at the top is Mount Seir, not far from Mount Sinai. And they circled day after day after day. Probably never going more than 40 miles in circumference just continuing the same 40-mile path around and around. It was such a small path that the Lord refers to it as this mountain, singular in the Hebrew. This mountain you've wandered around for days and days and days, looking at the same sights day after day, staring at the same mountain, the same scenery, unwilling to budge in their pride, refusing to give in, but just wandering around. You know, there's a tendency that we have sometimes as Christians to fall into that path of familiarity, to not break free of, of what we know. I can't really say that to this church. But there are patterns we have in our lives. We don't want to break free of what's comfortable. We don't want to break free of what's familiar. They had to be so sick of looking at that mountain. Can you imagine wandering around for 40 years and the scenery never changes? There we are again. This is trip 4,212 around the mountain. There's that rock, Billy. See it again? We saw that a couple weeks ago, and here we see it again. There's the rock. And after 10 years, Billy goes, I'm sick of the rock. I want to see something new. Well, we can't because we're wandering in circles. We do that sometimes as believers. We fall into those patterns. We fall into what we like. We fall into what we know. And we don't break free. And God says, I want you to break free. This is one aspect of, of that I love that the Lord has done at Harbor Rock. He's kept us on our toes. He's kept us moving. We've had to trust and we've had to be patient and we've waited on him. And I believe that's kept us dependent. And I've loved the hunger and excitement that I've seen as we found this building now. And God's led us to that. And everybody's like, let's go build it. Let's go develop it. Let's go make it look like ours. And, and I think Jason, and our, our landlords, you know, it's been funny to watch him because some days I think he's excited. Some days he's like, these people are crazy. They're cutting walls and holes and painting and tearing off wallpaper and building rock and putting up. I mean, it's been nuts over the last three weeks, but there's been a hunger and excitement there. Now church, we have to guard against letting down. Well, we got the building now. We're good. Oh, now we can relax. No, there's no relaxing to be done because the Lord's calling us to occupy. 
God didn't take the people to the verge of the promised land and say, all right, just go over and relax now. Grab a hammock and chill out and grab some oranges and some mangoes. Sit back. You're finally here. This is the land of milk and honey. I told you about 40 years ago, just chill. I don't think God would use the phrase just chill anyway, though, do you? Go in and occupy. Take it. And I'll drive out your enemies before you. But Israel didn't always see that potential because they had three problems. Let me give you these real quick. They had three problems. And there is a cautionary tale for us in them. And there's an impetus to advance and to move into our new land. The first problem was the emotional futility of being stuck in self-centeredness. Emotionally, Israel was stuck because they were so self-centered. They refused to move forward because it wasn't on their terms. And there was an intentional resistance against the Lord and the work that he wanted to do. And they couldn't break free of it. They didn't want to break free of it. Have you ever known somebody who is, who is stuck in the same problem that they had 15 years ago? I've known people that have a problem from 15, 20, 25 years ago. And the emotional wound is just as fresh as it was then. And you kind of go, you, you've got to move on. I mean, I'm not being indelicate here or insensitive, but, but the time's come for you to move past this. And I can't. It's, it's just like the first day. That was Israel's problem. You know, the Bible never calls us to live that way. The Bible never says, instead of being strong and be courageous, be stuck in your problems. You're an overcomer? No. You need to be non-victorious. You need to be full of faith? No. You need to be full of anxiety and worry and fear and doubt. You need to move forward? No. You need to keep circling the mountain because that's what God wants. God wants you to keep circling the mountain, stuck in sin, stuck in pride, stuck in frustration, stuck in anxiety, never moving beyond. He just wants you to stay in the holding pattern. Do you think God ever says that to us? Everything is advance. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on his full armor against the attacks of the enemy because God has a calling and he wants you to move forward. And our hearts, and we've said it many times, have to be yielded to him to say, and, and to say, Lord, I'm a selfish, proud person. Break me of it and move me past it. Their second problem was the physical futility of being proud in their hearts. So preoccupied with themselves, refusing to go in, refusing to trust. And the full evidence of God's power every day, they've been led ever since the Red Sea, which was miraculous on its own. They've had the presence of God. They've had the cloud. They've had the tabernacle. They've had the covenant to fall back on. They've had the word of God that the land was theirs. They've had every evidence, but they refused to go in. And as they refused to go in, God says, fine, you're going to wander. God is not adverse to giving us difficulty when we're stubborn. God is not adverse to challenging our pride and confronting our pride and making us wander for a while. So because there's no residence in, in the hill country of Seir, God said, you're going to wander around that mountain for a while. You're going to look at it day after day, and it's going to be a reminder of your rebellion. And here's the problem with unbelief. Here's the problem with pride is it pulls other people in. Joshua and Caleb had said, we need to go. 
And Moses had said, the leading of the Lord, come on, this land is ours. He told me when I was in the wilderness and he met me in the burning bush and he said, Moses, go set my people free and take them to the land that I promised to Abraham. And Moses goes down and the people get set free and God does miraculous work and he gets them into the wilderness. And instead of the people saying, how soon can we get there? It's not a very far walk, 100, 140 miles. Moses, how quickly can you get us there? I, we don't want to, we don't want to take any variation. Take us on the straightest path to the promised land because God gave that to us. He delivered us out of Egypt. It's so obvious he's with us. Let's go. But the people never said that. <laughs> we don't have any bread. There's no water. It's hot out here. We miss Egypt. Moses. That's what murmuring and complaining is. Come on, Moses. Oh, we're so tired. 400 years of slavery. I guess they weren't tired of that. They wandered. And what was bad is Moses had to go with them. I've always felt bad for Moses. How did he feel? How did Joshua and Caleb feel? They were faithful. They had faith. They trusted the Lord. And it says in the text, chapter 2, verse 1, we went and turned into the desert. Don't you think that was aggravating for him? Now, I got to wander with you guys. Now, I got to walk around the mountain day after day. I was the one who wanted to go there. Joshua and Caleb were the ones that said we can do it. They had faith. Now we've got to wander with you. Here's what lack of faith does is it pulls other people in to your lack of faith. And when you hang around people that, that can't trust the Lord, you know what it does is it sucks the faith out of you. That's what happened to Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And yet they persevered and they didn't complain. But the stubbornness of the people got to Moses at the last minute, right? When he got frustrated and he hit the rock twice and God says, sorry, you're not going to the promised land. What a tragedy that he had been pulled into that. Church, guard against that. Don't stubbornly hold on to sin. Don't stubbornly hold on to pride. I'm speaking to myself here. Don't stubbornly hold on to the desire to be seen. Don't, don't hold on to that. Give that up because that will kill us if we're proud. God, humble us. Keep us humble. Break us. Break us. Never losing the heart that we had in those prayer sessions in the upper room. Never losing that. We will be at risk. That's what the enemy will attack. He'll go after our pride. Third problem was the spiritual futility of being soft in their commitment to the Lord. There was such a deep spiritual complacency that was bred from wanting to be comfortable. And God says, look at verse 7. It's been difficult, but I'll tell you one thing. Over the 40 years, you've not lacked a thing. I know it's been hard. I know you've wandered through the wilderness. I know you've hated it. I know you've cursed me. I know a lot of things. I see it all. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, I've kept up my end of the deal. You've never lacked a thing. And you never will. Listen, the Lord has done so much for us. I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about redemption. 
If you're saved this morning, God's done more than you could ever possibly ask or think because he has redeemed you and me from sin. And then he's transformed our nature and changed our minds and said to seal this and to keep you on the right path. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit who's going to indwell you. And then I'm going to hand you my word. And then I'm going to surround you with believers. And then I'm going to give you a calling and a mission. And then I'm going to keep sustaining you day after day after day. I've done more than you could ever possibly think. But here's the problem. We get so stuck looking at the mountain. I don't like the mountain. I'm tired of the mountain. And we focus on that rather than the goodness of the Lord. The people didn't get it. Listen, there were on average 137 deaths a day. Two million people died over 40 years. That's 137 deaths a day. So many that they didn't have time to stop and bury them as they kept wandering. And as they kept walking back around the mountain, guess what they would see? The bones of the people that had died. And it never clicked to them. This is because of our rebellion. They just kept looking at the mountain. It says in chapter 1, verse 26, they were unwilling to go forward. And they grumbled and complained in their tents. And yet God was willing to help. God was willing to help. And he did help. Israel spiritually blinded. They've got the presence of God. Verse 33, chapter 1, every day. They've got the face of God's anger over their sin. Verse 34. Verse 41, they determined to go up and fight, but they went without the Lord. He had already given it to them, but they had their own ideas. He convicted them. They ignored it. They tried to go forward in their own wisdom and strength, still not getting it. God says, no, I want you to trust in me. And the people rebelled and they were arrogant. And they said, we can't do this. I'm not saying this is where we are. I'm saying this is the danger now that we face as God points us to the next step. That, that we would come back and say, well, we don't feel like doing that. Or, or we're not on with that. Or, or we don't like, Lord, how you're providing. Or, or there are challenges we don't enjoy. Or, or whatever the case may be. That's falling back on our own wisdom and our own strength. I don't believe we've done that yet and I pray we never will. I pray we never fall back into that attitude. The time now is not to be complacent. The time is to press forward and to work even more fervently and to see the potential of what God wants us to do to reach this city for Jesus Christ. Because we don't just exist now to have a building and be a church and everything's great and we'll run our programs and go home. No, the Lord has called us since day one to reach this area for Jesus Christ. And he has been faithful and he has been gracious and he'll never stop doing that. How do I know that? I know that because even when the people were in rebellion, God didn't leave them there. It says, we went back toward the way of the Red Sea. No subtlety there. The Spirit's saying, hey, you remember the Red Sea, people? Do you remember what I did? You're back close to it. We're not far from where I did that miracle. We're near Sinai where I gave you the law. And you remember you built that golden calf? Every day as you walk, you're going to remember that. But there's no mass repentance. There's no, there's no uh, indication that the people got on board. Are they really just 
all gave their hearts to the Lord. And yet God was still faithful. And he finally sees a point of brokenness. And they finally get to the place where it seems like things are right. And God says, chapter 2, verse 3, it's time to go home. Oh, you haven't been home yet. You've never seen your home, but it's time to go home. And it had to be like sweet water to their dry throats when God said, all right, you've walked around the mountain long enough. We're done. Let's go to the promised land. It's time for you to get there. I'm ready to do a new work. Don't you think there were still some people that said, I don't know. I, I like the mountain. It's pretty comfortable. I'm used to it now. Getting kind of attached to the, our, our old mountain. Isn't it great? Billy, don't you love the mountain? Billy's going, I hate the mountain. Out of all those people, don't you think there was somebody that said, we don't really want to go? And God says, enough. You've walked around the mountain long enough. Look at the text. Now turn north. And I'll lead you. The Lord is always ready to do a fresh work in our lives, but he wants us to be receptive and usable. Church, you have shown yourself to be receptive and usable over the last three weeks. There's no question. But now he says, I want you to be content in my presence. I want you to seek me. I want you to be eager to obey. And you got to trust me. This is the time for our faith now to go through the roof. Not to wane, not to wander, not to stay the same. This is a time for our faith to go through the roof. And here's the amazing reality. Look back at chapter 2, verse 7. With all the pride, and all the stubbornness, all the resistance, look at what God says. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you've done. He's known your wanderings through the great wilderness, and you've not lacked a thing. In other words, for 40 years, as you've been stubborn and rebellious and faithless, and resistant. I've been watching you. I've been providing for you. I've been blessing you. And now I'm ready to work in a new way. So, Israel, stop circling and go north. And when you go north, you're going to find that my presence and my provision and my blessing is far more than you've ever experienced in your whole life. What are the areas of your life this morning where you need to go north? Because you've been circling and wandering. You've been stuck in your sufficiency and your comfort and your way of doing things. And God's saying, you need a break of that and you need to head in a different direction. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you're stuck in sin this morning. Maybe your heart and mind are filled with things that are not part of the renewal process that God gives where he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fill your heart and mind with things that are dirty and evil that will pollute you and corrupt your heart. Fill your minds with what is good and what is holy and what is right and what is pure and what is just. Think only, Philippians says, on those things. So maybe it's a sin issue. 
Maybe it's a faith issue. Lord, I, I don't, I, I, I want so badly to trust in you, but I just can't give up control. Listen, if you don't give it up, God will break you of it. And when God gets involved, it's not pretty. Lord, I'm going to yield my control as hard as it is because I'm a control freak. I'm a control freak. Lord, break me of that. And if I, if I can't break myself of it, then I'm going to ask you to break me of it. And God will do that. God will never not answer, double negative. He will never not answer the prayer, Lord, break me. So maybe you need to be broken of that. Maybe, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's self-sufficiency. Or maybe it's personal. Maybe it's that emotional ceiling, that emotional circling that we talked about earlier where, where, where I just can't break free of my past. The Bible says forget the past because God has a future for you. But you're still looking at the mountain going, I, I like the mountain. It's safe. It's comfortable. Yes, but it's not where God wants you. God didn't ever want the people to just keep circling the mountain. He wanted them in the promised land, and he wanted them in the promised land 40 years before. But they didn't want to go to the promised land. Listen, God has something for your life this morning. I don't know what it is, but he has something for your life this morning. And he says, I want you to advance to that. But you're stuck. Why? I don't know what God wants in this church. I've said that many times. It doesn't make me a bad leader, I don't think. It just means that God has to show us. So I don't know what the Lord wants from us. I don't know how long we're going to be down there. I don't know what his plans are. But I'm telling you one thing. He's got plans. He's not going, I don't know what to do now. You got a building. What do you want from me? You think God says that? Oh, I know the plans I have for you. Plans too wonderful for you to even imagine. Plans above what you could ask or think. Those are my plans. Now I want you to discover them and I want you to go to them. He didn't say to the apostles, I'm leaving. You guys hang out. He said, there's work to be done. Go do it. Oh, I pray the Lord will give us a hunger for that. A hunger for what he wants to do. And that we will stay holy and dependent and just yielded to him. When Israel moved in, we're done. They moved in with power, with strength, and with confidence. What a difference between the two miracles that were the same. The Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan. At the Red Sea, they were saying, oh, we're going to die, Moses, we hate you. There comes Pharaoh's troops. We're going to die. And they're cowering. And God sends the fire between Moses, uh, the people and Pharaoh's troops. And then the seas open up and they cross. But the people, four verses after they cross, are complaining again. Now they get to the Jordan River. You know, you see people, we can't get across. It's so big. God says, send the ark in the middle. Walk across. This is your land that I gave you. There's a perspective difference. They go in with confidence and strength. And their enemies understand it even before they walk in. Remember when the spies go into Jericho and they meet Rahab. Rahab says, we know about you guys. We've heard about you. And you know what? We know we're going to lose. The Lord of hosts is with you. Just, just save me. When you guys come and tear down our city, just save me and my family. But, but we know we're done. Sometimes other people see the potential before we even see it. 
God was at work and there was no stopping them. So what's our challenge? I'm done. First of all, on the negative side, we have to guard against spiritual stagnation and complacency in any way. Now that we have a mountain, God doesn't want us to wander around it. God wants us to go forward and to advance to what he wants to do as a church. And that starts with us personally. It starts with our spiritual walk. The strength of this church is not dependent on me, not dependent on Randy, not dependent on the deacons, not dependent on the teachers. The strength of this church is dependent on every single one of us walking with the Lord. If we don't walk with the Lord, the church has no hope. If we walk with the Lord, God says, I will use you in powerful ways. So it's dependent on you and me. No spiritual stagnation, no complacency. And on the positive side, we need to seek the Lord fervently and we need to respond with joy and readiness when God says, here's my next plan. Here's how I want you to impact the city. Here's how I want you to reach out to this city and to the world. Here's what I want to do. Are you seeking me? Are you going to know it when it happens? And when you do, are you going to go forward? Are you going to say, well, Lord, I don't know now. We got, we got a lot of things we got to resolve first. No, God doesn't just sit and say, well, keep resolving your problems because the problems will never go away. Even if he resolves them for us, the enemy will throw stuff at us. So the problems are never going to change. We have the same problems now in 10 years if the Lord waits that long. So we're not going to just sit around and look at the problems and go, well, I don't know how we're going to solve that. We're going to seek the Lord and say, Lord, you solve it. We want to do the work you've called us to do. You, you, just, you just take us forward. This will only happen by the power of his spirit. It will only happen by us being dependent on him and saying, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. You lead us. You show us and we'll do it. We have an open door now of ministry. We're done circling. We're landing now. The holding pattern's done. We're landing. Let's get to work. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you this morning for what you're doing, for how you have blessed, for how you have been faithful. Lord, it's above expectation what you have done. And Lord, we're anticipating now what you're going to do in a powerful way in the days ahead. Until you return or until we go home, Lord, we want to serve you faithfully. We want to be confident that you are leading us. Lord, you've never failed to lead us. And as we yield now to you, you will work in a mighty and powerful way. So Lord, prepare us for that work. Even this morning, prepare us for the next work. Prepare us for how you will impact lives, for how we can minister to people, for how we can share the gospel, for how we can encourage each other and build each other up, for how we can train up children in the way that they should go, for how we can influence the darkened world, Lord, that's getting darker and darker every day, that we would be the city shining on the hill, the, the light that shines out in the darkness. Lord, we ask you to do that. In our midst, not because we want attention or credit. Lord, forbid that. May that never be. Only that you would be praised and magnified in this world. So, Lord, we ask you to use us and give us courage and strength now as we move forward. 
Show us what your will is, and we'll do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.